Good morning. If you would take out your Bibles and open them up to the book of Philippians, we're going to be beginning, uh, we're going to be looking at that book in just a moment as we look at a, a issue that, you know, as I as I thought about what to speak on this this morning, I was thinking and drawing my mind to things that I I felt like would be helpful at this time of year as we draw near to uh, the the mid of winter. It, it is not uncommon for the days to get shorter and darker and drearier, and it's easy for us to uh, sometimes just become a little bit discouraged during this time. It's not as pretty outside often. It's not as sunny. Um, and then on, that on top of that, sometimes during the holiday seasons, it's easy for, for us to, to look and, and look around at people that maybe aren't with us anymore and, and just to kind of dwell on those things. And as I worked on this, this lesson and, and the one for this afternoon, um, I realized I wasn't putting these lessons together so much for, for other people. I was putting them together for me. And so much of what you're going to hear this morning is me preaching to myself. And I hope that uh, as, as we go through God's Word and we, we learn from it, I know that, that I have been, been helped by this and I hope that it can help you as well. Um, there's a few things that, that really stand out in my mind as particularly terrible. Um, whenever I say the date 9-11, I imagine most of your minds go to a time uh, that, is, that is not a, a joyous memory. Pearl Harbor, for maybe a, an older generation that goes to the same, same place. Terrible acts of violence committed against mankind. When I say words like cancer, dementia, uh, likewise, we, we think of these things and we, we, we are just reminded about how terrible they are. Just this morning, a, a terrible event happened in Richard and Judy's life um, with, with the car wreck. It's easy for us to, to look at these events in our lives and, and recognize just how, how miserable they can make us. Um, Paling much in comparison to all of these. Uh, sometime Monday night, I noticed Tuesday morning, I came out to get in my vehicle to, to go to the gym and found dirty laundry in my front seat. A, a, a blanket, some clothes, uh, a, a soda pop. And as I began to realize that my Jeep had been gone through and the, the center console was, the contents were kind of spread around the Jeep, I immediately thought, my backpack was in here. And open in the back, I found that it was missing. Somebody had spent the night in my vehicle, left me their dirty, low, their dirty clothes, and took with them my stuff. And all of these things, as we think about them, they're events that happen in this life that we live, and it causes us maybe to wonder why. I know that's the first thing I thought. As soon as I opened that door and saw the, the backpack missing, why? Why would somebody do this? Why do people senselessly kill other people? Why do bad things happen to otherwise good people? Why is there so much suffering in this life? That's what I want to look at today. And that's essentially the question that the, the psalmist is asking in Psalm 73. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, you're going to have to bear with me. In that, in that backpack was my, my Bible that I have used for the past five years. And so I might be a little slower today getting to some of these passages. I've put a lot of them on the board 
to, to help ease that, but some of them we're going to turn to, and I, I just ask that you bear with me. Psalm 73 is a psalm written by a Jew that is not too undifferent from us. He, he looks at things similarly to how we look at things. Listen to what he says. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant. As I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, and the garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness. The imagination of their heart runs riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues parade through the earth. Therefore, this people return to this place. And the waters and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, I was trouble, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden tears like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. And afterwards... Receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works." What we see in this, in this psalm is a man who, much like us, looks around and notices the grass is greener somewhere else. Things are going so much better for these wicked people. It's almost as if he's saying, and here I've been trying to do my best and look at how bad things are happening to me. Maybe it'd be better if I just was wicked. He seems envious of them. And this is more than just kind of a fleeting, passing whim. He he says, spiritually, this thought has almost caused me to slip. He's been dwelling upon this. And he can't talk with anyone about it because he's afraid if I talk with other people, I'm going to make them just like me. And I'm going to blaspheme my God. And so, all alone, he suffers. And he struggles with his thoughts. And he seems very distraught as we read through this. Until verse 17. In verse 17, he says, Until I came into the presence or into the sanctuary of God, and I considered their end. I considered the end of the wicked. I considered the end of these people whose lives looked pretty good, but were marked with wickedness. That's the turning point of Psalm 73, verse 17. I hope that is the turning point in our life as well. You know, something I, I had intended to do today, and amidst all the commotion and and rotation that happened this morning, I, I just, I, I forgot. Um, 
But I wanted to ask the song leader to sing number 189. Uh, If you want to turn your songbooks there, I want to read these verses to you. When I survey the wondrous cross, number 189. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord. That I, should say, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. The author of this song realized something about what we have in this world and about the great, great cost that was been paid so that we could have something far more valuable in a life to come. I hope this morning to make some points that will help you when you are dealing with suffering. I know that they have helped me immensely. And when you feel alone and maybe even feel frustrated and angry, we're going to talk about that this afternoon. I hope some of these points will help. And the first point I want to make, it's going to sound like really bad advice to give someone amidst the the pain of suffering. But it's absolutely necessary that we begin here and that we understand that during suffering, we need to know it's not all about you. Richard and Judy were suffering quite a bit this morning. I'm going to admit, I didn't go down to him and first thing I do, walk up to Richard and say, Richard, it's not about you. But I want you to know that I didn't have to say that because Richard knows that. Richard, he might have been struggling with shock a little bit. But Richard's words the moment he saw me was, I I, I bought communion cups for the church. You need to get those communion cups. And I don't have a card to give this young lady that's hit me. I've run out of cards. I need a card to give this young lady, a, a church card. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about Judy. It wasn't about the card. His first thoughts were, how, how can this go beyond me? We need to know that. That's not an attitude that is often found in the world today. The thought that our human worth, our human value is directly tied to our human accomplishments. That is what makes me valuable, is the thought of the world today. And we know, the Bible says, don't be self-centered, don't be egotistical, don't be filled with pride. But those very things, pride and ego, they're the trademarks of our society. And we know what that song that we just talked about reminds us. When I survey the wondrous cross, cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. When we think of those words, when we think of the cross, there is not a soul on earth that has any right to feel anything but contentment for their own pride. But especially for Christians especially for Christians, this becomes the focal point of our lives. The focal point of our lives revolves around Jesus Christ. It is obvious to me He is the center point of human history. Everything culminates out from Him going into the past and moving into the future. How can I see myself then as the big deal? How can I lift myself up and see myself as more than I really am when I am focusing myself and viewing myself through the cross? To think of myself as more important and to forsake the cross is a terrible, terrible mistake that many make today. 
And it's possible as we think about that, we say, okay, I understand that's important. It's important to place Christ in His appropriate place in our lives, but what does that really do for me during suffering? How does that help me deal with what's going on in my life? When people experience unexplained suffering, where did this come from? Why did this happen to me? When a husband watches as his wife is slowly taken from him by cancer, or when children watch their, their, their parents, their, their, their lives, be stripped away by Alzheimer's. When a parent has to do the unspeakable and bury a child, they look and say, why me? And the, the natural reaction and the expected reaction is our thoughts quickly turn inward. And we look within ourselves. Why is this happening? What did I do to deserve this? We have to be careful because left unchecked, that leads to bitterness and that leads to anger, even anger towards God. It leads to fear and to worries. It leads to even physical illnesses that, that come out of this when we grieve like there is no hope beyond this life. But what I want us to know this morning is there is another reaction. We do not have to react this way. We can react differently. I also want us to know this. That's not entirely wrong. I'm not up here saying that if we think about ourselves, we have completely sinned and we have, have, have made the blood of Christ useless. That's not what I'm suggesting. If left unfettered, if left unchecked, if left to just completely run amok in our lives, this selfishness can breed other problems. And that's a reaction we see in Job. And we can, we can see how God works to correct that action in the life of Job But I also want us to consider, if your Bibles are opened up to Philippians, that what God wants us to consider is there's other ways that we can respond to suffering. See, in the book of Philippians, in the Philippian letter, you meet a guy who has dealt greatly with suffering. There's been terrible things happen to him in his life, and he turns that suffering into joy, into compassion, and into optimism. Read with me in in chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some to be sure and are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And Paul is saying here is, I'm suffering. What am I suffering? I'm suffering imprisonment. Here I've been doing what God wants me to do. That makes, makes me feel like I'm probably a pretty good guy. And what is the response from that? I get thrown in jail. How is that something, how does something bad happen to someone good? And Paul's reaction to that is, you know where it's led? Christ being preached all the more. Christ being glorified. The praetorian guard, the people surrounding my circumstance, know about Christ because of my suffering. And you know what else? The brethren around me are doing a better job of telling the world about Christ because of my suffering. And even in that, He suffers. 
Even in that, there are those that are trying to make His suffering worse through their preaching. And He says, you know what? Even when people add heartache upon heartache, if Christ is glorified, I will rejoice. And He goes on to say, and this should have a change in your life, Philippians. In verse 27, "...only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the Gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake." Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. What Paul reveals here is that maybe when we experience suffering, we should think and realize this might come to me so that I can show the power of the gospel to others. I don't have to react like the world reacts. When suffering comes my way, I don't have to be destroyed amidst that suffering because I know there is a God that is in control. I know there is a God that made all things, that sustains all things, and works towards good that those who, towards those who love Him and are called by Him. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, I don't understand that. I read those verses in Romans 8. I read how we can't be separated from the love of Christ. And I say, I don't understand that. And I can't explain it. And I thank God that that's the case. Because a God that I can explain, a God that I can understand, is not a God that can create all things and can sustain all things. Is not a God that I want to be serving. I thank God that we serve a God that is higher than our ways. That is greater than us. A God that lies at the heart of a Christian. A heart of a Christian should be a should be a trust in us, in this God that is different, that is unexplainable. And maybe to take His own words, to, to, to draw from His own words, instead of saying a God that is different, we'll say we have a God that is holy. And He's calling us to be different as He is different, to be holy as He is holy. And don't think for a second, when you, experiencing suffer, when you experience suffering and you look to God to say, how can I, like Paul is talking about here, how can I magnify you? How can I glorify you through my suffering? How can I react differently? The world takes notice. They may not say anything about it, but it's not uncommon that they do. It's not uncommon that someone would come to you and say, how, how are you holding it together? How... Are you not just devastated by this? And it's not that you aren't. It's not that these things don't just, just bring so much pain, but how, how do you react this way? How do you seemingly rise above your circumstances? How do you continue to help other people when I know you're hurting so much? How do you press on? And the answer to that question, brethren, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and His Gospel is how I press on. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what Paul is talking about. In this passage, Paul is petitioning God. He's saying, there is something that I'm struggling with. He calls it this thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I've come to God. Three times I've said, do something about this suffering in my life. And three times Paul uh, is going to get the response from God, no. I'm not going to take it away. And I want us to think about it. There are so many different ways Paul could have responded. 
Paul could have responded to that. This isn't fair, God. This isn't, this, 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 look at all the good that I'm doing for you. Just take this one thing away and make things easier for a chance. God, please, if you, if you don't love me enough to do that, why should I continue on? So many different ways he could respond. And I want you to read with me what he says. Concerning this, I employed the Lord, implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When God said no, God said, My grace or my strength is made perfect in weakness, my power is perfected in weakness. Paul says, Most gladly. What? Why most gladly when God says no, when God says I'm not going to remove this, you have to go through this suffering, why does that provoke gladness in Paul's life? It's because we have an awesome God. And he understands that. He says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And Paul got that. When he was weak, God's perfect power was made to shine the clearest through us. Our weakness is an opportunity to discover what real, unfettered, uncontrollable power that God can just interject and fill into our lives. What that means is in our weakness, we come face to face with our reality. And our reality is I'm finite. I'm corruptible. But we come face to face also with the eternal, perfect power of God. And so as Christians, suffering gives us an opportunity to clothe ourselves in that power and reflect God to the world. In our weakness, when we've been broken down, when we feel like we've had everything taken from us, left for dead, we have a chance to show the strength of Christ to the world. We have a chance to show His power. We have a chance to show His mercy. We have a chance to show His forgiveness, His love. And we do that from true faith. Understanding that's what Jesus Christ looked like in His life. So while many will turn their attention inward, Christ gives us a chance to glorify Him throughout that. And that has always been what it's about to follow Christ. Maybe the reason, though, that this seems very difficult, this seems like such a hard thing, an impossible thing to do, is revealed in that account of Job. If you remember, Job was a good man. Job was a righteous man, and he suffered greatly. He loses everything. He loses all of his children. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. We find Job covered in boils. His breath even stinks. His, his wife looks at him and says, you need to just go ahead and curse God and die. And I think you know, we look at her and just think about what a bad rap she gets. I think she was so sad of looking at this man that's been completely destroyed. This is what good is life to you? His own friends come and they're speechless. They, they, they come to help and they just sit and can't even say a word. What an awful sight this suffering man must have looked like. Job goes as far during all of this as they, they finally start talking, they say, Job, you must have done something to deserve this. Job goes as far as to say, it's not me that's been unjust, it's God. I am righteous. 
God is the one that's been unjust in this. Something that Job is, is going to have to and will repent of towards the end of the book. There is depressing conversations that go on in the book of Job. It is a hard book not to read and just, just be overwhelmed with sorrow for what's happening here and what, what Satan has done to these people. But that's not the purpose of Job. Job is not a book about why men suffer. That's not what the book is about. There's a conversation that takes place at the beginning of Job that I believe reveals the heart of God and reveals the purpose of the entire book. In Job chapter 1 and in verse 8, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. You see, this conversation revolves around this question. Why is Job faithful to God? And the answer to that, Satan thinks, is because you've been good to him. You have blessed him with many children. You have given him much livestock. You have given him wealth. It seems like, God, you're protecting him. It seems like, God, you are bribing him. Job is a bribed believer. You quit bribing him and he's going to turn on you like that. The faith goes away. The love goes away. The trust goes away. You know, God doesn't just say, you know, we'll find out about that. God shows, I don't believe that. That's what this story shows us about suffering. The suffering of Job reveals exactly what he's made of. Our suffering gives us an opportunity to expose to ourselves and also to others, what are we really made of? Are we bribed believers? When suffering comes upon us and it tests us to our very core, does it reveal that I come to services, I, I read my Bible and study it, and I, I pray and I treat other people well because the sun is shining on me, because things are going well at this moment. But the moment things begin to shift, if I no longer live in a country where this is very easy, if I no longer have a warm house and a loving family, when everything doesn't seem to be going, going okay, do I turn on God the way Satan believes that I will? You see, God doesn't believe that. God believes that we love Him. And He believes that that love comes from a knowledge of who He is and that the relationship that we have with Him doesn't revolve around how good things are going, but rather when things get tough, that relationship gets stronger. I believe this is why God allows suffering to take place. It's not that He can sit around and prove Satan wrong. I don't sit around and try to, to, to prove something far less than me wrong. I don't have to prove an ant wrong. God doesn't have to prove Satan wrong. I don't believe God is proving to Himself. I don't believe He's proving to Satan. I think He's giving us an opportunity to prove to ourselves what exactly is the great power that we have in our lives. God allows us to suffer so that we can become stronger. He allows us to suffer so that we can draw ever nearer to Him, so that we can take a step closer and we can be taught and we can learn and we can feel 
the power that He provides. He trusts even that when suffering comes to me or when suffering comes to you, that it will create and it will produce a faith in us that is yet to be seen. A faith that is growing stronger. And so what I hope is when suffering comes our way, we realize this is my story. This is my Job account in my life. Satan doesn't think that I'm going to overcome. Satan thinks that I'm going to give up because things have gotten hard. He's convinced himself of that. And God believes that I can. God believes that I can overcome. God knows, as He told Paul, in your weakness, my strength is fully realized. My strength is shown. My strength is perfect. For when you suffer, God knows that through Him we can overcome. And so maybe this happens then. Maybe we deal with suffering. So like James chapter 1 tells us, we can be producing something. Consider it all joys, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James chapter 1 says the testing of our faith produces things that we need to be of service to the Lord. Testing of our faith produces patience. It produces strength. It produces trust. And if we're having a hard time seeing that, and brethren, I have a hard time seeing that. Suffering just seems to overshadow everything in our lives and we get caught up in it and I have a hard time whenever I'm dealing with suffering seeing what is this producing in me. God says, ask me to provide you wisdom and I'll I'll provide it. That that idea of, of seeing the end at the beginning, seeing where this is leading, seeing what this is producing in my life, ask me to help you with that and I'll help you. Now what he doesn't say is I'll give you all the whys. I'll give you the answer to every question and you're going to know exactly why all of this is happening. He says, I'm going to help you to see what this can produce in your life. I have found that to be true every time I'm dealing with suffering. What an amazing, awesome opportunity it is after after I've gone through something to look back. To look back and trace the things that have happened in my life that have led me to where I am and realize Maybe without that event, I wouldn't have been prepared for this. You know, there was a time several years ago when some friends of mine were, were not only just making decisions that, that I felt were, were unwise. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel like they were wise at all. But it wasn't just that. They hurt me. They were decisions that were in, in, in one way an attack on me. And the thing that made it all the worse is they knew this. They knew not only are these unwise, they knew this is going to cause pain for him. We're going to do it anyway. And I remember how frustrated I was and how angry I was with them. And I, I, I could have just screamed and yelled at them until hopefully they made a change or until they said, look, I'm tired of dealing with this guy. We're just not going to have anything. I could have ignored it and just wrote them off myself and said, I'm not going to deal with them anymore. But over and over again, we went back and we talked and we, we discussed this and we tried to, to share with one another what we were thinking. And in the end, it didn't really change a whole lot for them. They still did what they were going to do. Changed a whole lot for me. I learned something that day. Not about dealing with these friends. I learned something about love and about patience. And it was a short time later 
that I had to go through the same thing with somebody much more closer to me. A, a, a family member that I had looked up to my whole life that I had to go and to talk about some terrible things that were happening and decisions that they were making that were, that were very unrighteous. What I want us to see in this is I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared at all to go to them and talk to them. But God gave me opportunities to have something produced in me that could help with that. I'm not saying that it wouldn't have happened had, had this other event not happened. But I'm saying it's amazing to me to be able to look back and trace where God has provided me with ways through trial to have produced in me things that I need to be of service to Him and of help to others. And it's painful when you go through that. It's not fun. But it's creating something. I also believe that it's not just producing something, it's preparing us for something. Because James doesn't end in verse 5. He goes on to verse 12 and says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Yes, God prepares us for service. God prepares us to, to help those that are in need and to give us the opportunity to grow in areas where maybe we are lacking. But ultimately, God's preparing us for a life with Him. A life in eternity. God is preparing us for a closer relationship than we've ever felt here on earth. God, through our suffering, is preparing us for heaven. Through our suffering, He's teaching us to pray, to, to, to speak to Him like maybe we've never prayed before. He's teaching us to dig in to a knowledge of Him through His Word and to study earnestly day and night. He's preparing us for something that is ahead. For a life when He is in our midst and there is no more shadow, there is no more need for, for gates on the city because God is with His people once more. And so, yeah, we are suffering today. And suffering causes us to look inward, to focus on, on ourselves. But it can also cause us to allow that to, to shift and allow us to look somewhere different as well. To allow us to look to God and to trust in Him and to listen to Him. I want to read to you one last verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 6-9. through 9. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. He's talking essentially about suffering. He says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Brethren, let's pray. When trials and when sufferings come upon us, we will look inward. We will recognize that this is hard, that this is painful, that this hurts. We may even think that this isn't fair and we may become angry. That's what we're going to talk about this afternoon. That's not always wrong. But eventually, our eyes need to turn, turn upward. and need to turn to God, the author, the sustainer of our creation, so that we might see, how is this preparing me for service? How is this preparing me for heaven? I want to ask you one last question. 
What if you never get your why? What if you never get the why to the question, why am I suffering? Or what if you get the why and it just doesn't meet your expectations? It doesn't give you the answer that you want. It's not satisfactory. When you think back again to Job, that's Job. Job never got the why. We have the ability to read the book as an outsider. We can see the things that led up to the suffering. We can see the whole picture. Job is the protagonist of this story. He's living it. He doesn't get the why. If we're not going to get the why, it's possible that we'll never get to know that. Will we keep serving God? Will we live faithfully for Him without knowing the why? Because I don't know, brethren, I don't know when, I don't know what, and I don't know why suffering is going to come upon us. But I do know that there is a way to be pleasing to God, to glorify Him, and to grow through our suffering. So if we might not get to know the why, it stands reason to me that we need to get to know the God. The God that is behind us. The God that is strengthening us. The God that can get us through. If this morning you have not become a child of God, I hope that you will consider to do so today. I hope that you will think about your life and I hope that you will consider that without Him there truly is no hope in this life or the next. Without Him there is just suffering. Suffering today. Suffering without hope and suffering in eternity. But if you do know, what you must do to be a, ch- a saved child of God, to have your sins washed away and to stand before Him in the righteous blood of Christ, I want you to know that you have been given an opportunity today and I hope that you will take advantage of it. If you do not know what is necessary, I hope that you will pull me aside. I hope that we can talk about those things and we can study God's Word together. What has He said is His will for you? And if you've already done so today, but you realize maybe... Through suffering, maybe through some other way, life has been hard. And in areas, I have really fallen short of glorifying God. And I would like forgiveness of that. I would like to repent of that. And I would like the help of this congregation to walk together as we focus on where we are going and what God is preparing us for, a life of eternity with Him in heaven. If we can help you with that today, won't you please let us know how. Come forward as we stand and sing the song selected.